Hey, good morning. My name's Chris Peters. If you're joining us online by audio, it's good to be with you this morning. My name is, I said it's Chris, but my title here has been Pastor of Leadership Development or Pastor of Ice Cream. Because the first summer I was here, we had a summer worship night. I was used to planning for college gatherings, so I was in charge of buying the ice cream. I bought like 400 pieces of ice cream. 40 people showed up. And the staff ate a lot of ice cream that summer in our breaks in the afternoon. So I picked up the title, Pastor of Ice Cream. But I want to let you know I'm glad to be with you all this morning. I was thinking about it that this church has supported me and my family, whether it be as a son of this church when I was a youth pastor and then coming into ministry, or when I was serving at campus ministry at GVSU or the past five years on staff, you have supported our family for the past 26 years. So thank you. I'm glad to be with you all. And we'll stop there. <laughs> I cut the lawn yesterday, and a little piece of grass got in my eye that's making my eyes red, so if that's why they're red. <laughs> so this morning, I want to share with you a passage that has informed my ministry a lot. It seems appropriate for today. It's a little passage from the book of Philippians. And the book of Philippians was written when Paul was in jail in Rome. Written, written to a congregation that Paul started on his second missionary journey. It was the first church on the European continent, the, the city of Philippi. And this church was one that Paul loved and had supported him, and one of the only churches that supported him when he asked for offerings for the ministry that he was in. So he, this is a very positive, upbeat letter filled with joy, and he's calling them to live out this gospel that they've received. So I want you to hear these words this morning from, from, from Philippians 2. It's a passage that sometimes, if you read it out of context, can seem a little strange. But I want to read it to you. It, it expresses some of my emotions and my wife's emotion, my wife Rita. And let's just jump into it together this morning. So it says, Paul says, after this incredible litany about the example of Jesus and his humility and his exaltation, it says, therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor in vain for nothing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this morning, Paul has this kind of reflection, like he is not with this church that he loves. He's in jail. He's telling them, you know what? All those things you did in my presence, that you were obedient and faithful and generous, I can't be with you now, so I want you to keep doing those things. Even more now that I'm gone, take up those reins that I was pushing you along with. I want you to do it even more on your own. 
he says this strange phrase, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He says, work it out. Get serious. Train, sweat, be disciplined. And this morning, we're not, I'm not going to call you to get up a gym membership or anything like that or a spiritual gym membership. But I think what Paul means is, hey, with God's help, what God started in you, unpack it. Make it your own. This is what it says a little bit later in Philippians 4. It says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Interweave this good news, this gospel, interweave it into your ordinary lives. This gospel that's changed your life, think about your life and where your life might be if God didn't search you out by whatever means he did, how would your life be different without this good news, without the person of Jesus? And he says, work it out. Make it real. Put it into practice. Now, here's the thing that one of the things throughout my life, I don't think I read this passage correctly at the beginning of my life, because it sounded like, hey, you've got to try harder. I want you to try harder. And I, I remember a sermon by Bill Hybels where he said, you know what? The Christian life is not about committing and following through. The Christian life is about receiving the gift of faith that Christ has won for us and cooperating with the spirit that is at work within our lives. It says in verse 13, it says, for God works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. You know, next Sunday, the 28th, is when the church sort of observes Pentecost. It commemorates the descent of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles and the other followers of Jesus Christ while they are in Jerusalem celebrating the Feast of Weeks, which is called Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit became more accessible on that day to all believers, not just a few, not just at a localized time like in the Old Testament, but the Holy Spirit's presence and power were available to everyone who received and believed in Jesus Christ. And that's true then, it's true now. So I want you to hear this morning this truth as we sort of think about living out this Christian life, making it real, making it work. The truth that the Holy Spirit now indwells every believer and empowers you and I to live a godly life, and to carry out the work of the kingdom of God. We do that by God's power, by the Holy Spirit's power, not by our own strength. The Holy Spirit in us gives us presence, makes in our lives the reality of the resurrected Christ in our lives, gives us peace when we wonder where we're going to find the strength God gives us strength through his spirit and gives us power to live this Christian life that without the Holy Spirit, without the gift of Christ that was won and completed our salvation, would be impossible. You know, John Ortberg wrote a book called The Life You Always Wanted. And there's a piece of that that always has stuck with me. And this is what he wrote. He says, significant human transformation always involves training and not just trying. 
Spiritual transformation is a long-term endeavor. It involves both God and us. And he likened it to like crossing an ocean. You know, you can try and cross an ocean by rowing a boat by your own strength, but you're not going to make much progress. Somewhat impossible. Or you can just sit on a raft and drift and hope that you get across the ocean. But a better image is the image of a sailboat. I grew up sailing. My dad was a sailor. We'd go to Lake Geneva in north of Chicago in Wisconsin, and we would sail. And I knew how much work it was to capture the wind that was at work. So a sailboat, if it moves at all, has the gift of the wind. We can't control the wind, but a good sailor discerns where the wind is blowing and adjusts the sails accordingly, tunes your sails. And working with the Holy Spirit means that we have a part in our transformation to discern the winds, to know the direction we need to go, and in training our sails to catch the breezes that God provides. And by his work, by his power, and our cooperation, that's how true transformation happens over a lifetime. And the Holy Spirit is the fuel, is where the power comes from, but it's also our guide. When we did the series, Organic Disciples, talked about the fact that as we're growing in our transformation, led by the Spirit, one of the markers is, am I growing in the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are those things, as I'm growing and coming more mature in Christ, are those things becoming real in my life? Are they fruit that all come together as I'm yielding to the Spirit? You know, the Holy Spirit has been downloaded into your life. Sort of, maybe for those of us who have computers, we've downloaded a picture or a file into our computer, and you know, there's that point you have to like unzip it, and it becomes fully present and active, that application on your computer that's what Paul's talking about. He's saying, you know, work it out. Unpack this gift that God's put in you. What God's put in you needs to keep working its way out of us, into our lives, into our relationship. Do your part in letting the Holy Spirit and his word sanctify you. And I hope you hear this morning from me as one of your pastors. It's been a great joy for me to serve here. When I left campus ministry at Grand Valley, I said, I want to be part of a congregation with all the generations together, and this has been a wonderful place for me to be. Do your part in letting the Holy Spirit and his word sanctify you. And I wonder this morning, where is the Holy Spirit nudging you? What's your next step? Not by your own strength, but fueled by the Spirit. You know, there's this next phrase. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's always caught my attention. I don't think God wants us to be terrified of him and scared that he's going to punish us at any moment when you step out of line. But I do think that God wants to have us an appropriate respect, this kind of awe and reverence for him. Because we have this awesome God residing within us. 
You know, we're very familiar nowadays with referring to Jesus as an intimate friend, our rock, our redeemer. We're the vine, he's the branches. We're the, he's the vine, we're the branches. But Paul reminds us here, it says, as you're living out this life in response to what God's doing in your life, we need to remind it that God is wholly different from us. And that when we worship here and we worship in our daily lives, we need to remind it that God is a mystery about the otherness of God. To have this kind of awe and reverence, this awe-filled respect for who God is, his awesome, holy, omnipotent, his all-powerfulness, his terrifying presence. Oftentimes, the prophets, Isaiah, others, would get into God's presence and they'd be like, whoa, is me. Now, I'm going to tell you a story that keeps working its way into my sermons because it was formative. In 2005, my family and I went to the mountains. Imagine that, because I'm a skier. We went to the mountains in the summertime, and we were out in Whistler, Canada. And Whistler is bear country, where there are often signs up that says, hey, you are here, you're in the mountains, there's bears that live around here, you might encounter a bear. Be prepared. And one day, I'm walking my children. At the time, Bradley was one. He graduates this week from high school. So this is an old story. <laughs> I was walking with Bradley and my daughter, Bryn, who was six. And we went for a walk around the neighborhood where we were staying in this condo. And I forgot something, and I left Bryn and Bradley outside. Bradley in the stroller, Bryn next to her, went inside to get something. I came back, no, I went inside, and all of a sudden, my daughter Bryn, six years goes, there's a buh. There's a, that's all she could say. I went out, immediately was like, okay, there's a bear, and I'll tell you my two immediate thoughts, is I said, I hope nothing happened to Bradley, because he's outside alone. And if anything happens to Bradley, Rita's gonna kill me. <laughs> Two immediate thoughts at the same time. But my daughter, when she encountered a bear, the bear had been around the corner of the condo, just sort of making its way through the neighborhood and then went into sort of a wetland area, so nothing happened. But my daughter came up, had talked about bears, wanted to see a bear, saw a bear up close and was speechless. I was like, that was so cool. But wow, that, that was sort of dangerous. In a similar way, as we connect with God, maybe we need to balance this wow and this woe of coming before God. Maybe when we need to go woe and say slow down to respect God, to tremble at his greatness, his majesty, his power. That's one side, the woe. The other side is to be like, wow. I'm humbled and amazed at the glory of God. Maybe I need to fall down sometimes in my spirit or maybe even personally and just be submissive to God. And the amazing reality is, is that this tension works it out. It's like we're secure in Christ for sure. 
But we're also like somewhat afraid, hey, God, you are different. What are you going to ask of me in this life? God in his mercy draws us near. But we also recognize that to come before God is an awesome, awe-filled experience. There's a quote that I love. A French philosopher in the 1600s, 1654, Blaise Pascal, French mathematician, famous. He's famous for saying we need to experience God through our heart rather than just through our reason and our mind. And they found this quote sewn into his clothes. No one knew about it until they found it in his clothes after he died. It's called the night of fire, he called it. In 1654, while he was reading at night about Christ's crucifixion and his love for us, it says this, that night he furiously wrote this reality and only after his death did others learn about it. This worn parchment was found in his coat containing two ragged copies of the following testimony. I'm only reading you a short part of it. This is what it says, Blaise Pascal talking about the night of fire. The year of grace, 1654, Monday, 23 November, the feast of St. Clement, from about half past 10 in the evening until about half past midnight for two and a half hours. Fire. The God of Abraham, sorry. This is the ones where I expect to get emotional. All right. Fire. The God of <laughs> The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Not the God of the philosophers and the intellectuals. Certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace. The God of Jesus Christ, my God, your God. Forget, sorry. Trent Pre. <laughs> Forgetfulness of the world and everything except God. I don't know if I did that justice, but what I want you to hear is he encountered the mystery, the otherness, the awesomeness of God. And I think what Paul's talking about in Philippians is says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, with reverence and awe, because everything in our culture says we are at the center. You and I are at the center and everything revolves around us. And maybe we need to be reminded that God is on the throne. He is God. We're not. And our lives need to be reordered around that center. And when we get reassized, when we realize that God's on the throne and we're not, we get smaller and God gets bigger. And we recognize that we're not in control and that he has the power and the peace and the wisdom Second piece is to have an awe-filled respect for what God wants to do with your life. You know, we have graduates 
this week, next Sunday is Graduate Sunday, but I want this for all of us, not just for our young students. Obviously, I spent a lot of my life working with college students who are thinking about, what's my life gonna be all about? What am I gonna major in? Who am I gonna marry? Where am I gonna work? But I challenge us all to be open and available to God and his call in our life. Whether you're 57, 17, 37, 77, The Holy Spirit has things for us to do and wants us to be about living for His kingdom and His glory. So I challenge you to be open and available, responsive to the Spirit. And it sounds like work, and it is, but God is the one who works in you. The living God is at work in you. And I read this quote this week, from J.D. Greer, maybe this is a takeaway for us as we sort of celebrate God's work, his power, God working in us. It says this, the Holy Spirit inside of us is better than Jesus beside us. The Holy Spirit work, the resurrection power of Jesus taking up residence in our life is better than if you had Jesus standing right here next to me or next to you, because you have his strength and his power at work in your life. And pursuing holiness, working out your salvation, as taught in the scripture, is based on the resurrected Christ indwelling us and changing us into the likeness of Jesus. God is trying 24-7 to move you and I to look more and more like Jesus in our own self and in our relationship with others. So we've talked about this awe-filled response, this awe-filled respect for who God is, and I want to talk about this awe-filled witness. It says in verse 14 of Philippians 2, it says, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. And what captured my attention was this idea of holding out the word of life. And there's two elements to this word in the Greek. One is this idea of holding fast or holding close this word. This is the Bible, the Word of God, that points to Jesus. We don't believe in the Bible. We believe in the God of the Bible and the inspired Word that teaches us about Jesus, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the inspiration of this book. But as we journey through life, we need a guide. We need an anchor. And this call of Paul is to hold fast. Stand on this. And at the same time, it also means to hold forth. Hold it out like a light. Not just like this, but with your lives, with this word working out in your lives. To extend it, let it show what God's doing, let it show in your life. And as I thought about this idea of holding forth the word of life, I thought about a track and field relay team. This week I've been seeing some of my son's friends and they're competing with Zealand West for the track team. 
And as I see those runners handing off the baton in the 4x100 relay or whatever else, you know, everything about that race is about the handoff, is about the transfer. And you know that in the Olympics or anything else, a bad transfer ruins the race for them. And I wonder for us, for this generation here, for the whole church, one of the greatest tasks that we have is to pass this gospel that we've received from one generation to the next. To see, to point people and help them discover. Ah. There's a little magnet or something that I'm standing on. So my question to you is, how is God inviting you to pass on his love, his grace, passion for his word to those who are closely following ahead of you on the, behind you on the journey? Your family, your kids, your grandkids, your neighborhood, says, you know what, as you hold out the word of life, you know, it shine like stars. Reflect his power and passion. It's not about you. It's not about being perfect. It's about reflecting his glory in your words, your actions, in your spirit, in your life together, pointing people, shining by God's power at work in you to his glory. I read this quote earlier this week that I had not read before. But I think it captures what you all have taught me. It's called Everyday Faithfulness. Faithfulness is an everyday calling. (laughs) It's regular. It's ordinary. Taking a really long view of the Christian life. It's reshaping our desires for immediate fruit and committing to following Jesus for the long haul. It's getting up every single day and believing that God is your treasure. That the I'm going to be here next week. (sighs) (laughs) Trying to lighten it up a little bit. My wife says, you need to let people breathe in your sermons. (laughs) It's getting up every single day and believing that God is your treasure. Faithfulness is doing this again tomorrow and the next day and 10 years from now, 20 years from now. Faithfulness is ordinary. It's unremarkable. It plods. It's also precious in the sight of God who works out a lifelong sanctifying perseverance in your life for your good and God's glory. So Paul says, you know what? Your character, your hard work, your humility, your faith, Let that show. Let it be distinct by your life and your witness 
show that there's something different about you because of what the Word of Life is doing in you, what the Holy Spirit is equipping you to do. Let it show. Shine like stars. And there's an old TV show about makeovers. There's lots of makeover shows on TV. I literally searched for it yesterday. There's like hundreds of shows on HDTV and other things that talk about renovations and changes to people's houses. And the famous one is this extreme makeover home edition show where they used to redo people's houses and then at the end they would do the reveal and they would put a bus in front of the house and they'd have the family stand in there and they would move the bus and they wouldn't show the house, they'd show people's faces. And they'd be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you did that to my house. They'd start weeping and crying and just joy dancing, running around the neighborhood. You know, if God's doing stuff in your life and changing you, changing your heart, how has he changed you? How has he brought freedom in your life? How has he set you free from something? Let it show. Let it shine in your faces, in your life together, in your families. And all the while, pointing to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that this is something we can't earn, but we can respond. And I pray that we would give it our whole selves, our 24-7 lives, and that by your power that you may change us to look more and more like Jesus, to follow the example of Philippians 1-11. to and the humility and the love that Jesus showed. Thank you for these people, this congregation. May you equip us all as we go forward to be your light and shine not to our own glory, but to the glory of Jesus Christ, both now and forever. Amen.